I serve a risen Savior. He is not here for. He is risen. Amen. You know, John, in, in John chapter 16, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. That's what we celebrate here this morning. As we consider this thought, um, I want to share a quote by Dr. John Stott. And he says this, he says, Christianity in its very essence is a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. Christianity is a resurrection religion. You know, we, we may be specifically set aside one day to focus on the resurrection, but, but as believers, I hope that the resurrection of Jesus is alive in your heart every single day. It helps you get through your day. It helps you face tomorrow just like we sang, because he lives, I can face tomorrow and all the challenges that it brings. I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 1. And we just, uh, we'll just cover this chapter for our time here today. You know, there's, there's so many good scripture passages in regard to um, the risen Lord, but I just think this is a really a good reminder here as well. Luke 24, starting at verse 1. We read this, on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, this being the, the women, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and some of the other women as well. So they came to the stone, it says, and they, f- they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is an interesting passage um, in relation to faith. Notice these women, as they came to the tomb, they had full intention of preparing the body of Christ for preservation with with their spices. So they came to the tomb, and they find the stone rolled away from the tomb. And there's a significant thought here. And many scholars say this, the stone wasn't rolled away from the tomb to let Jesus out, but so that witnesses could come in and see the inside of the tomb. So they come in, in into this area here, and it says they, they came to the tomb, and they went in, 
and they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. This is an interesting thought. These women had been around the teachings of Jesus for quite some time, especially within the last three years of Jesus' earthly ministry here. And how many times hadn't they heard Jesus reference his death? How many times hadn't they heard him reference the thought that after three days he would rise again from the dead? And so they come to this tomb after his death, fully expecting to see his body there. And it says here, they went in, they didn't find it. It wasn't there. And it says, they were greatly perplexed. While they were perplexed, they were confused, they were wondering why his body wasn't there, what happened to his body. It's then that they see these two shining men. And it says in dazzling apparel. And, and in their fright, they, they fall to the ground. They bow their faces to the ground. And these angels say to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, what are you doing in a cemetery? What are you doing here? He is not here. He's risen. Don't you remember? And then they, they, they kindly rebuke these women. They say, remember how he told you. Remember what he said to you. While he was still in Galilee. That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day rise. It says, in verse 8 it says, and then they remembered his words. Then they remembered his words. After the angels pointed them back to the words that Christ had shared with them. Numerous occasions that he shared with them what was going to happen to him. All of a sudden it clicked and they remembered his words. Words that, you know, like, like Christ said that the, the seed has to die before it springs forth and bears fruit. And so... Then they finally remembered, and then they went and told the rest of them and uh, the, the 11 disciples. But as these women went to tell the 11 disciples, the 11 disciples heard this report, and rather than being filled with faith, they looked at what these women were saying, and it seemed to them as an idle tale. A story that people say for entertainment's sake when people are bored. It seemed to the apostles that they were just making up something. An idle tale to them. All except for one man. Peter. Peter listens to these women. And something starts to burn within his heart. There's a, a flicker that begins in his heart. You know, he was one of the first men to deny his Lord and becomes one of the first to believe. Maybe this is true. And he, he has enough faith. You know, sometimes we might ridicule or sometimes we might, might wonder, why didn't you just believe? All the facts were right in front of you. But Peter had enough faith to, to run over to the tomb. So he gave enough credibility. And remember that during this era... The, the testimony of women was not significant. In fact, women were not even allowed to testify in courts because, because their eyewitness accounts were not considered credible. They were not valued 
to the degree that they are today. And so Peter, though, listens to the report of these women, and he runs into the tomb, and it says there that he saw, he saw these linen clothes lying by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Faith had begun to blossom in his heart. Later on, Mark tells us that, that Jesus, when he came to the 11 disciples in Mark 16, 14, when he appeared to them, he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. You know, I was, I was thinking of these thoughts here and just reminded, you know, so often we, we focus on the problems of the disciples, right? We, we look at Peter's betrayal, um, Judas's betrayal, the disciples forsaking Jesus and, and fleeing in his time of need, sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane at his most um, necessary hour, his, his time where he really needed his followers. And I, I think sometimes we, we critically judge some of these events. But I, I wonder sometimes how it would have been if we were there. How would we have responded? Would we have responded differently? And I think not. And I say this because we, we find ourselves far too often in similar places where, where we forget the great promises that God has given to us in his word. The, the provision that he's given to us. And, and we, we live a defeated life because we don't really believe in the risen Savior. And I know that, you know, you could probably say to me, no, I believe. But do you believe? Do you believe in the moments of temptation when you're tempted to turn away from Jesus to some weak and beggarly element of the world? Do you, do you believe in the risen Savior rather than choosing the things of sin? When you're ready to give in to the bottle, to give in to pornography, to give in to another joint, another cigarette, you know, these are just some addictions that, that people deal with. But I, I feel like so often as, as people, as children of God, we live in defeat because we don't really believe in the risen Savior. We don't believe in the power of the risen Savior. And so we critically look at these disciples and, and the, uh, the people in this story and we judge them for something that we do ourselves. You know, we, we even have something that they didn't have. You ever thought of that? These disciples didn't have the complete entire written word of God. One other thing they did not yet have was the filling of the Holy Spirit. We read in John 14, 26, where Jesus says, The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Remember how forgetful these, these disciples were. And it took the angels to point out to them, hey, remember what Jesus said? 
Remember what he said about how he would be crucified and on the third day he would rise again? And they kept forgetting. But Jesus said, there's coming a time where I'm going to send you the helper and the helper is going to help you remember. And so here's the thought. We as believers today, we have the completed word of God and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And yet sometimes we walk around in defeat. We walk around without understanding the power of the risen Lord alive in our hearts. Let's, uh, let's move on here. Luke chapter 24. I want to continue reading in this chapter. Verse 13. There's a few other characters here. It says, That very day, that same day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. This is a, this is a really sad story. I want you to just imagine, these are, these are two disciples, they're, they're sadly walking down the road, um, there was about, I think, a seven mile stretch to where they were going from Jerusalem, seven or eight mile, it says you're seven miles, it says, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened, they were talking and discussing these things, when Jesus himself drew near. And went with them. But they're, they're walking along the road here. And all of a sudden they're joined by a third occupant. And they don't recognize him. Kind of like, like Mary when she sees the risen Lord. She, she thought he was the gardener. So, so they, don't, they, they don't recognize Jesus. And Jesus starts to have a conversation with them. And he says to them. What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. They were really sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people and in our chief priests, our rulers, delivered him up to be condemned to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, they, 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 they turned to Jesus, besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying, that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. For some reason his body wasn't there. And as he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine this thought? Jesus is walking with these two men. 
And, and, it, and it would be like he would be up here teaching us, doing some expositional preaching through the Bible. It says he started at Moses. In, in you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, the first five books of Moses. He started at Moses, and he goes through the Bible with these two men. He goes through, through the, the prophets, the, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the, the minor prophets, men like Samuel. And all these things, he, he goes through and, and explains to them what was supposed to happen concerning himself. They had an incredible opportunity from the lips of Jesus to hear the entire gospel story as it's woven through from Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus went there. I can only imagine what it must have been like as he was sharing with them perhaps the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac on the altar and how it related to the father sacrificing his son. Or, or even... Um, Isaiah 53, you know, uh, talking about this lamb that was led to the, the slaughter, who was despised and, and rejected of men. As Jesus was expounding the word to these men, something started to change. Remember what Romans 10:17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Well, they were literally... Um, hearing the word of Christ as Christ expounded the things concerning himself. It's an interesting story. Um, notice as they're walking along here and, and, and telling Jesus um, the things that had happened in Jerusalem. And Jesus says to them, what things? Isn't that an interesting thought? You ever... You ever stopped and thought about that? You know, I, I, I really think Jesus sometimes had a sense of humor. He, he was in the middle of the story. This was all about him. And he says to them, what things? Wanting to just hear their perspective. Wanting to see what they would say. Um, just just a, a neat little thought there. And it, it reminds me that Jesus is an incredible person. You know, we were, were singing this song up here earlier, um, Before the Throne of God Above. You know, talking about this great high priest that we have. And I was reminded of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. You know, Jesus, in, in this story, these two men, you so clearly see his love and his care for his people. And Hebrews 4, 15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, Jesus, in this story where he, he, where he shares everything that happened from Genesis to Revelation, he's so personable with these people. He makes things personal. You know, I... I, I believe we underestimate or, or sometimes we forget to see the power that we have through our resurrected Savior. He is not just any high priest. In fact, he is a high priest who is able to identify with us because he's gone through all things just like we have. 
And yet he didn't succumb to sin, which gives him the, that perfection, that ability to become our perfect sacrifice. But it also gives us the ability to go to him and get help in our time of need. These two men, as Jesus was expounding scripture to them, that, that flame started to burn in their hearts as they heard this risen Savior speak about what had happened, how the prophets had foretold everything, and how Jesus as the Messiah fulfilled those things. And I think that we, we live in unbelief and defeat so often because we don't recognize this faithful high priest who is interceding for us at the right hand of the throne of God. And Scripture here says we can go to this Jesus boldly and confidently to receive help in our time of need so that we don't need to live a defeated life. So these two men in verse 28 says, they drew near to the village to where they were going. And, you know, they're, they're walking along here and it says Jesus acted like he was going to keep going. Like he was going to keep going down his journey. Remember he had already communicated to these um, two men. He had expounded the word. And he just, he keeps walking. He, he made it seem like he was going to keep going. And these two men, they, they urged him strongly. They, they, there's something about him that they just wanted to be with him. They didn't want to lose his presence. And so they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is toward evening. And the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And broke it and gave it to them. It was at this point that scripture says their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. You know, it, it came, you know, they probably started to think about the Passover meal, this Last Supper, and remembered their Savior doing the exact thing that this man in front of them was doing. And, and as they were contemplating on this unique visitation from the Lord, it says, they, they looked at each other and they said this, Did not our hearts burn? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? It says they rose from that, that same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You know, these, these two men... I, I find it incredible because they, they were rehearsing what had happened to their Messiah, to, to Jesus. They, and they were talking about Scripture, and, and yet they couldn't understand the words of Christ till Jesus expounded them and opened up their eyes. You know, I, I believe that in the direction that they were going, they could have discussed these things for days and never reached a conclusion. And, and then Jesus does something marvelous. He opens up their eyes. He expounds his word to them. He, and, and their eyes are open. They recognize him. And that flame begins to flicker and burn. Their hearts burned with them. 
You know, our, our Savior became flesh. John chapter 1 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Unbelief keeps us from seeing those things. Even, even these two men, they, they heard what these women had done. And it says they were amazed by the story. And yet, they were also wondering, well, what happened to the body? There was, there was not a full belief. There was still um, a cloud of doubt and unbelief in their own hearts. And when we, when we succumb to unbelief, and I, I think this is why Jesus was so harsh when he judged unbelief. You see it throughout the New Testament. Um, you know, when he, when he became critical of people, it was because of their unbelief. And he became stern with them. Unbelief keeps us blind. When we aren't willing to trust what God is revealing to us, when God is opening up Scripture to us, even in a setting like this, I, I find far too often, you know, you're, you're sitting on the bench here and, and God is speaking to you. And yet, you filter things so often through your own experiences and your fears. Oh, I, I can't become sold out to Jesus. I can't become writing. What would my family think? What? You know, that means I have to go and, and share the good news with people. Uh, I can't do that. I, I'm little old me. You know, can you imagine what they do to me? Like we allow fear to cripple us. Unbelief creates within us an attitude of fear. It keeps us blind. It gives us fear. It keeps us in the dark so we don't pursue light and fellowship with other people, other believers. Unbelief is what binds us to sin. Unbelief keeps us um, satisfying the appetites of our addictions. It's unbelief that does those things. Un unbelief makes us continue to live in sin and it leads to a, a miserable life. A miserable life. And all around us today, we have people who profess to believe, who, who profess that they know Jesus. But in reality, the, their, their life is a mess. Their life is one defeat after another. And if you were to examine their life, their, their life resembles more the kingdom of darkness and the works of the flesh than the Spirit of God and the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus said, by your fruit you will know them. And, and the, the, the problem is unbelief. It's an, it's an unbelieving heart. It's not being willing to grasp this gift of our risen Savior. You know, ultimately, if we continue down the road to unbelief, it will keep us away from the presence of the Lord for all eternity. I want to encourage you today to allow this Jesus who ministered to these two men on the road to Emmaus to cause a burning in your own heart. And that the, the flame inside would flicker and become bigger as you grow in your faith, as you study the Word of God, as you allow the Spirit of God to fill you. You know, this message, 
that Jesus spoke to these two men, he still wants to speak to you today as well. He wants to expound to you from Genesis to Revelation. All through the, the, the Bible, we see the scarlet thread being woven. We see the love of Jesus for all humanity. In fact, we see the love of God. We see God loving the world so much that he gave his only son. Because he created us in his image. And his desire is for us to be together with him for all eternity. It's like the song we were singing. One day we're going to cross that river. Let's just finish up this chapter here yet. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, Peace to you. But again, he says, They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? You know, as I was thinking about this passage, I was also reminded of, um, you know, when you're face to face with reality, and a reality so stark as someone being risen from the dead, um, often our, our minds can't grasp these things. It takes something supernatural. Remember when, when Joseph's brothers in Genesis chapter 45 came back to Jacob and they said, Hey, Dad, Joseph's still alive. And after Jacob had mourned the loss of his son for many years already, and, and Jacob says here that he did not believe them. But when they, they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, says, then the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And I was just thinking, you know, we sometimes can't grasp these things. And so there's nothing wrong with us allowing the Spirit of God to give us the capacity to think. Remember that when these angels said to the women, hey, think back to what he said. And as soon as the angel said that, it says, then they remembered his words. You know, we, we need to allow the, the supernatural Spirit of God to work in our hearts. But it, it has to start in faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the words of Christ. So we need to get in the word. You know, all, all around today, I, I, I talk to people and they're like, I'm not growing in my faith. And, and all you do sometimes is ask them, how often are you studying the word of God? Well, actually, I haven't read it in a long time. We don't, we don't see the life-giving resource in front of us. You know, the Psalm 1 says that blessed is the man who, who meditates on his word day and night. He becomes like that tree that's planted by the river of water. You know, if you are dealing with unbelief, go back to the Word. You need to meditate. You need to fill yourself with the Word of God. The Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And then, like Jacob, the Spirit, our spirit can become revived. And if your spirit is, is dead and shriveled up and the seeds are are not producing what they ought to anymore in your life. Go back to the Word of God. Go back to your first love. Get to understand this Word who became flesh. Get to know Him. 
He longs to reveal himself to you just like he did to these two men on the road to Emmaus. He longs to reveal himself to each one of us. Notice here in this scripture passage in verse 39, as, he, as he's sitting before his, or standing before his disciples, and they're troubled, and, and they think they're seeing a ghost. They, they, they think they're not seeing reality. And he, he opens up their minds just like he did to the two men on the road to Emmaus when their hearts started burning within them. He says, hey, see my hands and my feet? That it is I myself. I'm not a ghost. I'm here. And then he actually says, touch me. I'm not, I'm not just a wisp of the air. Touch me. I'm a, I'm a physical being. He says, then he says this to them, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them again his hands and his feet. And verse 41 says, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he gives them another evidence. He says, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. So here they were um, thinking that they were seeing something, you know, rubbing their eyes and thinking, you know, I, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And, and Jesus says, hey, touch me. Touch me. Look at my hands and my feet. Do you have some food here? I'm going to show you I can eat. And he, he demonstrates that he was miraculous. I don't know exactly what this must have been like to see Jesus. You know, all of a sudden, he's suddenly in their midst. And yet he's not a spirit. He's flesh and bone. I, I don't understand the resurrected body, but 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. You know, we, we look back and we see Jesus having raised Lazarus from the dead and, and Jairus' daughter. Um, but they had to die again. Jesus was resurrected with an eternal body. And Scripture says he's the first fruits of that. He's, he's the first one. In one day, we will also get a body like his. That's, that's a beautiful thought. And so he wanted to show them, hey, touch me. I'm not just a wisp of the air. I'm, I'm real. I can eat. It says in verse 44, then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You, he said, as he looks at his disciples, in their quaking and their fear and their disbelief, their, their stunned countenance, right? He says to them, you are witnesses to these things. You've observed them. And he says, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you and stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Verse 50 says that he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed his followers 
when he while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. What, what had happened there? The same thing that happened to these men on the road to Emmaus where their hearts burned within them. These disciples, they had seen the resurrected Lord and now they believed. And so Christ takes them out to his ascension. And you know, one of the, the greatest thoughts on the ascension is it demonstrates the victory of our Savior. And the disciples could watch Jesus go back up into the clouds to be with his Father and now to be interceding on behalf of us while we await his return to receive his bride. Isn't that, isn't that amazing to just think about that? They, you know, Jesus victoriously ascended to heaven. He could only do that because he had won the victory. You know, this finally came to, to, to pass what he said in John chapter 16, verse 22. When, when he had not yet died, he said to his disciples, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. You know, I hope you have experienced the resurrected Lord in your heart. If you haven't, you're missing out on the greatest gift. When these disciples could finally grasp the risen Lord, it says there, they worshipped him. And they had great joy. And they continually stayed in the temple, blessing God. And Jesus said, no one will take your joy from you. John 16, I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. This is the Jesus that we serve. And if you're walking in defeat today, you can choose another way. You can choose his way. And when you experience and you allow um, the word of God to blossom in your heart, this word becoming flesh, to live in your heart, this resurrected Lord to live in your heart every day, 365 days of the year. You allow him to live in there every day. No one will take your joy from you. No circumstance will take your joy from you. Nothing in all the world, Romans 8 tells us, will separate us from his love. It's an impossibility. Romans 8, 1, he says there's no condemnation. There's, there's absolutely nothing. Jesus says, no one will take them, will snatch you out of my hand. Nobody. Have you encountered this Jesus? Do you know him? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today, the song says. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. In just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me 
and he talks with me a long life's narrow way. He lives. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see his loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of his appearing will come at last. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. So here's a thought. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King. The hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. May you experience that today, tomorrow, and every day. And if there's something keeping you from it, confess your unbelief. You don't need to live in defeat. Christ Jesus wants to be your risen Savior. <clears throat> Won't you let him be? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being our risen Savior. Thank you for who you are and everything you represent, Lord. Father, you are worthy. You are worthy to receive glory and power and riches and honor. And Father, it's because of the great gift that you gave us in Jesus Christ that, that we are now able to be redeemed, that we are bought, the ransom has been paid. And hallelujah, Lord, we have our Savior who is seated at the right hand of the throne even right now making intercession for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that, that of all things in the world, Lord, of all religions, Lord, there's only one true one. There's only one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we worship Jesus today. We give him glory. We give him honor. And Lord, I just pray for each person here. May they experience the risen Lord. May they experience his power and may they dynamically live in that, Lord, that none, and realize that none can take that joy from them, Lord. Father, guide us in our journey with you in every way, Lord. In Jesus' name.